Hello everyone, Steven Min here with The Game Day and this is The Hedge where we hold court and discuss all the latest basketball news. Let's get right into it. Our first guest this week is ESPN Insider, host of The Boardroom, Jordan Schultz. And after that, we'll have Emmy-winning NBC personality and resident Bostonian, Trenny Kuznarek. But first, Jordan, welcome to The Hedge. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's a big, uh, big time, Steve. As you know, we got Selection Sunday coming up and it's... Uh, I don't know. I feel like everyone in America has got the perfect bracket for a couple of days. Yeah, it's always a nice thing. I've had the perfect bracket for a good six hours. You're feeling on top of the world and then things just break down. All right, but let's get to this looming NBA trade deadline now less than two weeks away. Obviously, you have a finger on the pulse of the NBA and I kind of see this as a quiet deadline. You know, an Oladipo, Harrison Barnes, not really big time names. What do you see happening here? Well, so really there's, there's a position of two teams. You have the idea if you're a you're a contending team, and I mean, I don't mean championship. I mean, like, if you have an opportunity to make the playoffs. So let's say, hypothetically, you're Charlotte in the East. You haven't had any success really in the last two decades, and you're starting to think, okay, we could be a six seed. We could be a five. Maybe we could be a four. Well, now you want to be ultra aggressive because making a playoff push, even getting into the first round, if you haven't had success, means a lot to a franchise. For sure. And so – then you could be like the Pelicans in the West. And maybe you're on the outside looking in, but because of the playoff, you have an opportunity to jump right in, even if you're not, let's say, a top eight seed. And so there's there's so many different trains of thought. When you when you ask around, you really have two different like main philosophies, though. One is, do we want to mortgage our future to get into the playoffs because we think we can maybe win a series and maybe we're a sprained ankle or a COVID case away right. from – getting into the conference finals, you know, do we have that type of ability? Are we one trade away? Or do we want to sit back and be really patient and decide like, for instance, let's just say hypothetically, we're Chicago, right? We have Zach Levine. He's had a great year. He's an all-star. He's one of the top, top guards in the league. We, we could trade Zach Levine and get a monster load. We could trade Thad Young and get probably a decent player or a decent pick in return. Right. But we also realize that, we have an opportunity now maybe, maybe to build something with this young core. And so these are the types of decisions that teams are going to make. And it's it's not necessarily all different than it normally would be. The difference is now you have the playoff, you have the COVID season, you have a shortened season. The trade deadline is at the end of March. It's it's basically a month later. So there's, there's a lot of tough decisions to be made. But to your point, I, I don't expect to see a lot of activity. You mentioned Harrison Barnes. Um, like I know for a fact, Boston, for example, would love to get Harrison Barnes, but they don't, I don't think they have the firepower, the weaponry to go out and get him. So a lot of these teams that would like to make a move in many cases, don't have the arsenal to go out and get the guy they want. And so instead they're going to stand pat and, and play it safe. So I, I would expect a couple trades. I do not think Oladipo is going to be moved. Um, wow. I think Denver is an interesting team. I do think Denver is an interesting team because they have underachieved, but they're starting to play better. Maybe they go out and try to get a, another wing uh, or another forward because obviously they need help. You know, they, they lost Jeremy Grant. That was brutal for them. Um, and I think you, you, you'll, you'll probably see for the most part quiet deadline, but um, there could be a couple names on the move. I'm surprised you said Victor Oladipo is off the board, right? I mean, the Rockets have Not lost off the board. I just, I think I, there's so, it's not because he's not a good player, Steve. It's because there are still so many injury concerns with him and like, like, I, I watched the, uh, this game last night. He had 23, I think. Yeah. He, he's capable of being someone that can put you over the top or at least significantly improve your team. But if you're going to trade for Oladipo, you're going to have to give up a lot, a lot. 
And you're going to get a guy who has been basically off the floor the last two plus years. And that's a massive risk to take. So I, that's why for me, I just don't see him getting moved. It's interesting right there. You know, he's already been moved once, right? And I don't really see him staying there long-term. They've lost like, you know, what, 14, 15 in a row. They try the extension, the two years, 45 million. He declines that. I think he's looking at, you know, a four-year, 84-year, $90 million deal in the open market. If you're Houston, don't you just take whatever you can get for him? Well, Houston is, (laughs) they've been so mismanaged. You know, a weird situation. Yeah. It's really weird, and obviously Maury's not there anymore, but they, like, if I'm a Rockets fan, I'm, I'm devastated because Harden forces his way out. He's playing the best basketball of his career. Obviously, P.J. Tucker's done there. Uh, we bring in Oladipo. He hasn't – he's been very inconsistent. Uh, we gave Capella all that money for what? We don't have a ton of young talent. It's a really disappointing and, and strange roster, and to make matters worse, Christian Wood is, it has, was, you know, got hurt a few weeks ago. So – I would look at Houston and say, ideally, they would love to, to dump Oladipo, but their asking price is going to be very high. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, let, let's just move on from him yeah. and try to get a couple picks. But I, I just don't see that happening because I don't think anybody's going to give up enough to get him. If he's not getting moved, I don't really see another all-star caliber player really moving. You know, there's- well, Barnes would be the guy. I mean, I don't know if he's an all-star caliber, but he's a good player. He'd, he'd be the guy. He, he signed this four-year, what was it, $75 million yeah. deal last year, and we're all looking at ourselves like, why in the world would you give that to Harrison Barnes? And now all of a sudden it's, does Boston have enough to go get him? It's crazy how things have changed. He's had a better year, granted, but... I didn't really see this coming where the sellers are really controlling everything where Harrison Barnes might be the best player moved. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very weird market and this is not, you know, you, you're, you're not going to have like the splash for you. We've already had it. I mean, Harden got dealt, you know, obviously Oladipo got dealt. Lavert was traded to Indiana. We've had big names already moved and um, you know, I, I don't anticipate it. I think like you, you could see, you're going to see like mid to lower, lower level yeah. guys. Like the, PJ the buyout Tuckers. market yeah. is going to be hot. Yeah. You know, we're just not going to see, it's not going to be that kind of market. I mean, the, I asked around on DeMarcus Cousins this week, just out of curiosity. Yeah. And like, there's really no, there's very limited market for him. You know, I don't know if the perception is he's totally done, but like, is he worth what you might have to give up from a locker room standpoint? Because he's not happy. And the answer is no for a lot of teams. You know, he just can't move defensively anymore. Um, you know, JaVale McGee is a guy that's probably going to get picked up and uh, be on a contending team. But these are the types of names you're looking at. You're not looking at all-star. So there's a story that's circulating around about LaMelo Ball. You mentioned Charlotte before. LeVar told you about his impending start in, what, four years ago now? Yeah, so uh, th- this story is uh, – I mean, I, I thought it was cool because – Basically, the night before, the day before Lonzo was drafted, Steve, I finagled my way up into into LeVar's hotel room for an interview. Awesome. I don't even remember how I got it, but I basically hung out at a hotel for a few hours and got up and I and I interviewed LeVar. And I, I, I didn't know him prior. I didn't know any of the, the sons, but I was very cognizant of the surroundings because basically LaMelo was just a kid. He was probably 14, 15. Uh, you had Jello who nobody necessarily cared about as much. And then, yeah, Lonzo was his big day. And LeVar said, you know, like, I love Lonzo. He's going to be great. And that was like, okay, of course. But then he said, like, that kid, and he was pointing to LaMelo, like, he's the one. And I remember looking at Lonzo, and he was like, yeah, he, he, he is. And so I, I just thought that was really cool, because at the time, 
LaMelo was kind of like a becoming, I guess you could say an Instagram sensation. And there was like a lot of Chino Hills hype, but he was a skinny kid. He was probably six, four. He wasn't six, eight, and he wasn't anywhere on the radar from an NBA perspective. So I remember being surprised because Lonzo was going to be a top pick. And, uh, and sure enough, he was right. Yeah. I mean, I remember there was reports, uh, during the draft time that, you know, Minnesota wanted to move down, you know, Charlotte was, was talking about other things and my Knicks were getting involved reportedly where, you know, they were going to trade the eighth pick and like potentially Mitchell Robinson. And I was like, that's way too much. You can't be doing oh, anything for, like, for Lamelo to move up to number one to get Lamelo. And I really wish they did that now. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to ask you as a Knicks fan, what would you now, knowing what you know now, what would you have been willing to give up? Oh, would everything. you have been willing to give up like if I said no quickly, you would say okay, I'll, I'll do it. Fine, whatever, whatever it takes, because that franchise guy, you can't replace that, right? Like That's Julius true. Randall's had an All Star season, but he's not a franchise player. He's not a guy I think you build around for the next few years, and he ascends into a you know what a Lamelo Ball can do. So yeah, and and Lamelo, his game is, is tailor made for New York for a big market, oh, let alone the guard. It kills me. I mean, you can imagine a full Madison Square Garden, Spike Lee wearing the Lamelo, you know, orange and, and blue jersey, and and Lamelo catering to that crowd. I yeah. mean, he's he's that type of. He was very magnetic, and he's such a young player that you can imagine him in three or four years being the face of the league. I'll tell you one more small story Please about do. him, and we can move on if you want. But you know, uh, I go way back, way back, Earl Watson, who was a head coach of the Suns, obviously played in the NBA over a decade. And he worked out and he's kind of worked with the ball family for a few years. And he, he told me years ago too, he said, Lamelo is going to be the best one. And then two or three years ago, he said, Lamelo's is going to be the face of the league by the time he's like 21, 22. And I laughed. I said, you're, you're crazy. This kid's 150 pounds. There's no way. And, and I don't know if he's going to be, I mean, I think he's going to be a superstar. I, who knows how good he can be. He has, all the tools that when I, I spoke with their, their, their coaching staff, specifically Jay Triano, who's a longtime assistant, and he said the kid is – you can't get him out of the gym. Uh, the, all the players love him. He's very receptive to coaching. And, you know, I think what surprised even the staff was that his ego, he really – he put aside. And he was able to – he's able to take constructive criticism. And all of those things lend you to believe that he's going to be a great player. It's shocking because, you know, he comes from Australia and a lot of the reports were he doesn't try on Terrible. defense. His, you know, we can't really interview him because the IQ is too low. That stuff seems like nonsense right now. <laughs> like Crazy. And also, if you go back and you read the stories and watch the games, he looked like he was playing with reckless abandon. He shot a terrible percentage. Right. He was in the 30s. Uh, he didn't get to the line. He turned the ball over. But now you put him in the league around other real pros like NBA players. And uh, he's transformed himself. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, his, his steal percentage is off the charts. He has seven double-doubles. The next rookie has three. Um, he shoots the ball. I mean, despite how awkward it is, he shoots the ball pretty well. And he finishes. I, I'm just blown away by him. I'm, and I'm surprised that this quickly he's become this good. It's nice to see Michael Jordan finally hit on a draft pick. You know, it's the one, first, yeah, the first big guy since what Kemba probably. I mean, how, how yeah. high can you see, you know, he, him taking the Hornets here? Oh, this season? No, just like in general. Oh, long term. I, yeah. I think I, what's exciting too is that not only is he a great player, but I think a lot of guys are going to want to come play with him. You know, he's kind of got that that Jason Kidd or Doncic ability where you feel like I'm going to go there and elevate my game 
by playing with him. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's an electric atmosphere when you're on the court with him. And I mean, he's, he's got that type of ability and he's so magnetic. So I, I think in the next few years, I wouldn't be surprised if Charlotte, they're not going to be, they're never going to be like a free agent destination, like a New York or Chicago or LA, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody said, you know, I want to, I want to go play with them. I'm going to be a Hornet. I mean, the Knicks haven't had, they haven't been able to go out and get premium free agents really, we you know? And yeah. so you're going to need somebody if you're the Knicks to maybe pull Anthony Davis and say, I want to go play there, trade me there. And I think the Hornets could start to be in that conversation where maybe one big free agent or one guy says, I want to be traded there and go play with a mellow. It's, it's shocking to see, but they seem to be on their way for the first time in a very long time. But yeah. now let's let's move on. We have this little thing going on on our Instagram and our Instagram stories here at the Game Day Hoops. In honor of March Madness, it's a bracket featuring professional athletes who would win in a fight. We sent you the bracket beforehand. It's a battle royale. And I want to know who is going to take this thing, which athlete is going to win. Well, there's a lot of guys on there. I mean, you got the Bosa brothers, Watt, Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, but I'm going to go Miles Garrett. I'm going to go Miles Garrett. Obviously, we, we know he's he, he can get mad. Yeah. We, we, we've seen it. Uh, he's obviously a great player, but, you know, more than anything, like, he's got, I think his body is, he's not too, like, if you're seven feet, it's hard to fight. And if you're six feet, you're not going to beat up a guy that's six, seven. I think Garrett, he's right in that kind of right sweet, spot sweet spot of six, five, 270 where he's he can do a lot of things. You know, you can imagine him with a few few MMA session training uh, training sessions of you know being able to do some serious damage. I I don't think like I don't know if he's ever fought fought, but I don't think a lot of guys are going to say I want to fight Miles Garrett. And I um you know I had Jacob Phillips on. He's a young linebacker on the Browns on, yeah. on my show uh, last week, and he, he said you know think about Miles Garrett is you know genetically he's just built different, like he's a freak. And I would say this. You know, like Khalil Max is similar. I mean, these are all great athletes, but I think Miles Garrett hit the genetic lottery twice. Like he's a once in a generation type of athlete. So I'm going to go with him. And uh, I think he's got a great shot to win it all. How are you? I'm taking Khalil Mack. He's a two seed. I was trying to avoid taking a one. All he's got to do to to get through his region, the bruiser region, is get past J.J. Watt. I don't trust the number one seed in that region, Zion. You know, he's not quick enough. He's waddling around the court. I don't see him winning a fight. So I'm going Khalil Mack. He's got that menace in his heart. He's like a, um, he's like a, uh, I'm trying to think of an NCAA team. He's kind of, he's kind of got that like Baylor, you know, this year. It's It's a good pick. Yeah, it seems like he's, it's not like the clear-cut favorite, but he's got a great shot, very motivated. I like it. So I also run the social here at the game day, you know, doing the game day hoops, and I've gotten a lot of DMs, a strange number of DMs, asking why we didn't include more hockey players on this bracket, you know, saying basically hockey guys are the only ones who professionally fight, right? Do you think we didn't include enough hockey guys? No, I think you're you're, you're straight on that. You're good. I, hockey players are tough guys. You know, I know, I mean, you, you could put a goon on there and not necessarily like the Crosby or Ovechkin. And I, I, I don't know, like, I don't want to talk you like that, but I know there are guys that go out there and like they're enforcers. Right. And right. so maybe you could do that, but we're talking about the, some of the best players. Best of so the best. no, I think you're good. I mean, what I would say too is um, I think, it, yeah, it was Earl. I, I, to bring a, a lot of love to my guy, Earl Watson. He told me, he was like, listen, we, we see the hockey guys all the time. And they come in and like, you know, they're not, they're big dudes, but like without the skates, you know, 
Like they, they're like six seven with the skates, and then they're like six three, six four. Yeah, we're not so, giving the skates you know, in the ring. The skates change everything, and um, you know they're wearing the the big gloves, and then they take them off. I, I'm gonna say I think you're good on the uh, on the hockey players. I think I think those guys are tough. Maybe they'll win a couple rounds, get to a Sweet 16, maybe an Elite Eight, but uh, no. That is, good to, that is good to know right there. Thank you very much. Jordan, really appreciate you coming on the show. Where can people find your work? Uh, I'm, you know, ESPN, uh, Boardroom, as you said. Um, done a podcast with CJ McCollum called Pull Pod. Awesome. Last couple of years. So, um, but just, if you, if anybody wants to find me, just DM me on Instagram. Uh, I, I try to be, I try to respond to those weekly and uh, I'm always around. I'm, I'm not hard to find. Don't don't worry. Just hit me up. That is good to know. We're going to have you on again real soon. All right. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Coming up next, we're going to talk to award-winning NBC personality, Trenny Kuznarek. Next up here on The Hedge, I'm thrilled to bring in NBC's Trenny Kuznarek. Trenny, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you guys? It's beautiful. It's, it's been a beautiful little stretch in the, in the Northeast. So we're all happy because we actually saw some sun. Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. I got to go outside today. It was warm out. I didn't have to have the heavy jacket. It's it's becoming the best time of the year for sure. Before we get started, on your Instagram, it says you were born to be a fiddler in an old time band. I love that. Okay, so do, but do you know the origin of it? No, that's what I want to talk to you okay, about. Okay, so it is my favorite song is Wagon Wheel by Old Crow Medicine Show. Not the crummy, like, who, like who's the guy from Hootie and the Blowfish? What's the guy's name? The lead singer from Hootie and the Blowfish, like who became uh, like a, a country star, like he's remade the song and everyone else has. Nobody does it like Old Crow Medicine Show. And I just think it's such a great line. And the, like, if that song comes Darius on- Darius Rucker? Darius Rucker, yes, Darius Rucker. Um, so if that song comes on, it like makes me super happy. And it's just one line in that song. And I just love, it. it's like this lovely folksy, I'm kind of a little bit of a hippie at heart and it kind of has that vibe. I love it, but uh, I digress. It's been a roller coaster of a season for Celtics fans. What's the general sentiment right now in Beantown? I think that the general sentiment is this team is not as good as everyone thought that it was, right? Like the last couple of years, they've been in the Eastern Conference Finals. Last year, I think a lot of people thought that they should easily, or not easily, but be able to handle Miami and go to their first finals since 2009. And of course, that didn't end up happening. And I think that exposed some flaws that this team has. And then you lose Gordon Hayward, you know, Kemba Walker Walker gets hurt, Marcus Smart gets hurt, and it just sort of threw everything into a disarray and they haven't been able to find a rhythm and really recover. Um, and, and so I think a lot of people are having to take a hard look at this team and, and say, okay, we thought that they were right there, but they might still be, this might really be the start of the path, not the near end of the path. There's been some discontent, obviously, with Danny Ainge and what's been perceived as his inability to make the quote-unquote big trade, right? There was Paul George rumors, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. He doesn't get any of those guys. I personally don't think that's fair. Like, they've had some really bad luck the last couple of years. You mentioned, you know, you, you lose Hayward, you lost Kyrie Irving, you lost Al Horford. I mean, nobody expected weeks before then you were going to lose all those guys for nothing. And then, you know, the, the Memphis pick, the Sacramento pick, those were, you know, high commodities at the time. They both end up as the 14th pick. What are your feelings on how Ainge has handled the last few seasons? I mean, I think it's somewhere in between, right? Like, I don't think you, you obviously can't blame him for how those picks 
you know, panned out. You go in thinking, okay, the way that that team is set up Memphis right now, that should translate into a lottery, a, t- a high lottery pick right. for us. It doesn't, you, to me, that's not his fault. Al Horford just left because he wanted more money. To me, you had to take a risk on Kyrie Irving. I think where people get frustrated and where I know I think I've gotten frustrated with Danny Ainge is that the Gordon Hayward, um, you did not have to lose Gordon Hayward for next to nothing. And the TPE is next to nothing. Um, sure, you've got money to spend, but it's basically just taking someone else's salary. So you have to get a player someone else wants to dump. You're not going to get a major piece to the puzzle. And now the talk is, you know, oh, well, we may not use it now at the trade deadline. We might push it to the offseason. They have until November. Right. You only have, yeah. exactly like if you don't use it, you lose it. So you essentially got next to nothing in return for Gordon Hayward. You know, and they had a chance to make a deal with Indiana where maybe you could have gotten Miles Turner. Um, maybe you could have gotten Victor Oladipo. I, and he really wanted, and now the name is escaping me, he wanted this young upstart player. Aaron Holiday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, maybe if you don't get that, you take a, you you take the next best thing and you get something. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. But instead, he like always he always wants the Kevin Garnett trade. You're not always going to get what you got to get, you know, in Kevin Garnett. You're not always going to get what you what you got in return for sending Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to Brooklyn and then getting that haul in return. You're not always going to strike gold. And I think that's what frustrates people. And Steve, the second thing I think that frustrates people is that the last couple of years, he hasn't even made a minor move at the deadline. Like last year, you could argue with Gordon Hayward uh, on the bench and sort of his injury history combined with uh, Kemba Walker's injury history. If they just would have gotten a piece on the bench that maybe could have rounded out and solidified um, that group and some of that scoring, Maybe they aren't in the position that they were against Miami. Maybe you're not so reliant on Kemba being healthy and Gordon Hayward being healthy. Maybe you get another veteran piece who has been there before, who might fill in that tiny little gap and you find yourself in the finals. But instead it was like, "Ah, we're just going to go with status quo. I think people are tired of status quo. I think that's a great point, right? That series was so close. I think it was, what, 4-2? But at the end of the day, all those games were super close. You have Tyler Hero have that one monster game. If you add some That bam out of bio block. Win. I mean, if that right. doesn't happen and Jason Tatum makes that layup, they, they might win the series. Right. But, you know, you're talking about you add a wing who can give you another 10 points a game. Yeah. That block doesn't happen, right? You're not in that position. You already won the game. You know, maybe it's a guy who could slow down a Tyler Hero who he has 25 instead of 37, right? So like those kind of little things could have made the huge difference. And they have so many picks. So like eventually you're going to have to start cashing them in. Yeah, because, I mean, let's be honest, like Peyton Pritchard has turned out to be, and he, by the way, was picked like 24th or 26th. 26th, 26, I think. Yeah. And then you've got Aaron Neesmith, who is 14th. So it's a crapshoot in that bottom half of the draft. Basically anything after the top 10, I'd say even in the NBA after the top five or six, you may not be getting a star player. And so what, and those picks for you are never going to be high, at least not right now. As long as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are on this team, they're always at the very least going to be playoff contenders. So you're always just going these middle picks just trade them away get rid of a young guy like a Romeo Langford if you can get something I really like Robert Williams but I can't you know he's not probably a make or break piece like if you can package those together and get someone that might you know elevate the team to a higher level even if it's not winning a title but getting you that much closer then I would do it because my biggest fear is that they do nothing and they just sort of stay in this middle ground and having grown up in the Midwest yeah. Uh, and watching the Bucks, like I remember the Bucks of the '80s, they were always in the postseason, but they never won anything, right? So they were always just here. Uh, I don't want to just be Boston. You don't need to be just here. You're Boston. 
Right. I mean, for, for people listening on the uh, audio version of our show, Tranny's got a Midwesty shirt on right now, so which I love. And also with um, with Boston, look, they've been in three of the last four Eastern Conference Finals. It's you. It's time to ascend. It's time to evolve and get to that finals level. You have two of the top, you know, twenty players in the game. It's just what is around those guys. You know, Marcus Smart is a great defensive player, but he's not really a starting point guard, right? No, he's not a starting point guard. And Kevin Walker, to his credit, after struggling out of the gates with that knee injury and like taking, you know, he has been better as of late, like especially right before the All-Star break. Um, I think a lot of people looked at him and said, OK, this is the guy that we saw in Charlotte. Maybe he's rounding into form. And if they manage him, he should be able to play at this level, maybe even better as they go forward. But, you know, you talk about Jason. You just mentioned the the two top 20 players. And of course, you're alluding to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And everyone says, right. oh, they just signed those guys. But sure, they signed them to deals that take them for another four to five years. And as we've seen what happens in the NBA now, if you don't like where you are, it's a player's league. And if you don't think the team you're on is putting pieces around you to win, that their window to me is not five years. Their window to me is two to three years. Like they've got to find a way to, to lure a big name free agent here or make a trade with somebody that brings in that missing piece and convinces Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that they should stay in Boston and build their legacy in Boston. It's a really tough decision, right? Because the free agent class this upcoming year is not going to be great. The no. big guy to me that I think fits perfectly with this team is Kyle Lowry. He's older, right? But he's a guy who's going to be a free agent. Toronto's already been, you know, we'll probably deal him because we're not going to give him that big money. He's going to take some kind of pay cut from the $30 million he's making. And again, as we said, the $28.5 million trade exception, he could be a guy who can make a Brown and a Tatum better because that's like the one weakness in their game right now. I see they don't really make other guys better. They're shot makers. They're great, you know, offensive players, but they don't make guys better. A Lowry to go with a Walker, Smart, you know, Brown and Tatum, to me, that's a championship team. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be honest. They don't have great ball movement. They have one of the lowest uh, assist ratios in the NBA. Like, they're clearly not. And I, and I don't think that it's that they're a selfish team, but I do think that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown look around and say, okay, if it's not us or if it's not Kemba Walker, who's making the shot? So we might as well just take the ball ourselves and, and literally put the ball in our hands and try to make something happen. And it's funny because a couple of years ago, and Kyrie gets torn apart for everything he did yes. in Boston because he said he was going to stay and then he left. And he was really ripped apart for this because he had said at one point a couple of years ago that this team needed like an older person on the on the team. They needed a Kendrick Perkins type player that would sort of, you know, bring that that savvy and that experience, um, that unselfish sort of nature to the team to make Tatum and Brown better. And he was ripped wildly because I think a lot of people said, well, that's who you're supposed to be. But that's not yeah. the type of player Kyrie is. But a Kyle Lowry, I think, would be. I think he'd be at the tail end of his career and he could see in those two, I can help facilitate like a Gordon Hayward. Like Hayward made those guys better. They were better with Gordon Hayward because Hayward didn't mind taking a back seat to them. Um, I even think Al Horford wouldn't be a bad pickup at this point, like for him to circle back and come you back. You could get him for nothing right now. You could get him for you could get him for next to nothing, right? And and I think that he again is someone who could maybe be a mentor and be the person too who almost as acts like a player coach and, and, and helps bring Tatum and Brown along in, in terms of like the, the intellectual side of the game and understanding what they have to do in late game situations. Because as we saw against the Nets on Thursday night, 
Like I feel like the, the biggest weakness for the Celtics is when their backs are against the wall, they crumble. Because I don't think they have the confidence anymore because there isn't that type of player who has won before and been on a championship team that can say, guys, I've been here before. This is what we need to do. To your point, I think Kyle Lowry. And actually, it's funny because I've never heard anyone bring up Lowry around here. Like, it's always been Harrison Barnes. Barnes. Not a big enough impact to me, Barnes. He's not really a playmaker. He's not really what they need. And, you know, they're going to play small down the stretch. You're going to add another guy who's not a center. It doesn't really make a lot of sense if you're you're going to do that. That's what everybody wants, though. That is, like, the yeah. big name. And I think people thought Tristan Thompson was going to be that guy when they signed him in the offseason. And, you know, I don't know if it's that the system doesn't fit him, if this weird COVID year has just affected everyone, like a short offseason, and so guys just aren't playing, you know, to their, their level or their potential. But I thought he might be the guy who sort of brought that calm in the middle of the storm. And at least so far, we haven't really seen that play out. So speaking of the Celtics, March 22nd, the TD Garden is going to start allowing fans for the first time in over a year. But given the current state of the pandemic, do you think the city of Boston is ready for this? I think so. Our numbers actually are really low. Um, at the time that we're talking now, I think the two-week average in the city of Boston has been 1.1% infection rate. Um, and, you know, Boston is a lot like, I know you guys are in New York, like, People wear masks outside. You know, it's not like you walk into a store and half the people in the grocery store have masks on and half don't. Like here, people abide by the rules. They, they, they take the necessary precautions. They're only going to allow 12% capacity. Like you're going to be so spread out. I think it's I think it's more than okay. And we're all, and also Massachusetts, you know, to its credit, after really stumbling out of the gates, has done a pretty good job in terms of vaccinations. I think 40% of our population has at least one dose of a vaccination, which is great, right? Like that's that just getting closer and closer to that herd immunity. And so we continue to see numbers either plateau or at least or kind of go down. Um, so to me, if you're required to wear masks and you're required to social distance, like why not bring some energy back into the building? Yeah. And I certainly think the Celtics could use something like that for sure. Right. I'm curious your thoughts, though. We've seen partial capacity in the NBA here in New York. You know, it's 10 percent for the Knicks at MSG. But what are your thoughts? There's news right now that the Texas Rangers may actually allow 100 percent capacity on opening day. So, OK, so it's so funny because I'm super liberal, but I feel like the pandemic has made me like go a little bit more towards the middle on certain things. Right. And so when I look at Texas, as long as and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a retractable roof there, I think. Right. Yes. If the roof is right. open and it's outside and you do and you are strict about making people mask, I actually think it's OK. Like, again, liberal part of me coming out here. Like I, I marched um, in some of the marches, the Black Lives Matter marches this, this past summer when it was warm outside. And in Boston, everyone wore masks when they marched and there was no increase. So they, they did not see any spike or correlation when people were masked in large groups outside to cases going up. So I think if you are following, my, my issue with Texas is, are people really gonna follow the rules? That's right? the question. Like, are, are you really going to wear your mask the whole time? Or are you going to be like yeah. breathing and yelling all over the person next to you? And you're going into bars and restaurants there and everything else is open. And so does that open the floodgates? But you know what? Texas, if you want to be the guinea pig. The guinea pig. <laughs> well, blame your governor if anything goes wrong. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about it because you've already heard that governor come out and say, hey, you don't have to wear masks anymore. We're basically done with this. Right. And. Now you're saying 100% capacity. People are not going to be wearing masks. It's going to be mayhem. So I'm a little con I'm a little concerned about that from that perspective. But if you're a person who's 
who's vaccinated, you're a person who's, who's socially distant, you're, you're wearing the mask. I have no problem with you going to a game. I, I just got my first you know, vaccine last week. I'm very excited. I'm getting the next one next month. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, I will be going to a sporting event, you know, by May, but I would not go without both of those vaccines right now. And I don't think a lot of Texas feels the same way. I'd feel more comfortable going to Yankee Stadium, uh, Fenway Park, something outside in a, in a place in the Northeast where I know people would be compliant because I, I think if I if I think if I went to a packed Fenway Park for a, a Red Sox game on opening day, I really believe that they would be diligent about like kicking people out who weren't. Or they'd be like Delta, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox would be like the Delta, uh, which is Delta Airlines, which like kicks right. people off for not wearing masks of, you know, sporting teams. I think if you weren't following the rules, like you're out and you're not coming back. Whereas in Texas, I feel like it's a real crapshoot. Yeah. No offense and, to know. anyone from Texas, but you guys are a little. You guys are a little more rogue than the rest of us up here in the north. There we go. Uh, So given this climate, it's been crazy that the NBA was praised universally last year, you know, with the bubble. Now this year, the athletes don't seem as particularly comfortable. We saw LeBron and other NBA stars like De'Aaron Fox, like, come out and verbally protest the All-Star game. You saw Trey Young with a really funny tweet about how he was kind of happy to not be in that All-Star weekend. Do you think the NBA made the right choice, kind of forcing the All-Star weekend here? In in terms of COVID, I actually was okay with it because I think sports leagues have done to the best of their ability. And I know that um, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid tested positive right before, but that was traced to a barber they both went to, right? Like that wasn't because they were practicing on the court or participating in all-star activities. Um, So I, I and I think players have been spooked enough about getting sick or having it like trickle over to their teams that they probably followed the rules leading up. My bigger issue is just a sports fan is asking them to play so late into the summer, have such a short off season and only cut this season by 10 games and say, oh, and by the way, we still want you to play an all-star game. Like, are we going to see injuries that might not have otherwise popped up or continue to nag? Like, are we going to see, you know, guys, like, are are we going to see a team like the Nets who look like they're flying high right now, but because they have had no break, are guys like James Harden and Kyrie Irving going to hit some sort of a wall? Because they are, I mean, they're not old, but they're a little bit older than the you know average NBA player. That to me was more the like a bigger negligence by the NBA, but I also get it. Like teams lost so much money. I mean, look at how, you know, even I know we're not talking NFL, but the NFL salary cap dropped by like $20 million because of COVID. Like there was a huge financial hit. And I know a lot of these leagues are trying to balance like keeping players safe, keeping the game, you know, as entertaining and competitive as possible, but also making up as much money. And I think at the end of the day, that's why a lot of those players participated because they know that they get a share part of, you know, the money they get is a share of total revenue. And if you don't have that, you lose a ton, you lose a lot of revenue. Trenny, thank you so, so much for coming on The Hedge. I really, really appreciate it. Is there anything we could plug for you before we wrap up the show? Um, I guess my social, uh, I'm on Twitter, at Trenny. I'm on Instagram, at TrennyNBCS, which is like NBC Sports. Uh, and if you're like a mental, mental health is like my big important thing, like my sort of side project. I'm an advocate, a patient advocate. So every Monday I do this thing called Mental Health Mondays, where I address like different things that are going on in the world or my life that people might relate to. So we have an open candid dialogue about mental health. Thank you to both Jordan Schultz and Trenny Kuznarek. That is going to do it for us here on The Hedge. Remember to follow The Game Day on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you have a topic you want me to discuss on our next episode, leave it in the comments and I'll see you next week.